You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. 1 Kings 18. So Ahab, or Ahab, I don't know, whichever way it should be pronounced. Ahab sent, verse 20. Did I tell you verse 20? Helps if I tell you where I'm at, that way you guys can get with me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to come back and recap. We're just going to read a few scriptures. First Kings 18, this is a very familiar story. How many know about the Mount Carmel showdown? Everybody knows that. So you're going to be familiar with the story. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel, verse 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? That word halt means crippled. How long are you going to be crippled? between two opinions. Just know this, if you're going to serve the Lord, he doesn't want you crippled between two opinions. In fact, it's even uh, reiterated in the uh, New Testament when when the Lord said, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. All right, so this is not a new concept in the New Testament. It's, It's an Old Testament concept as well. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long halt you between two opinions? How long will you be crippled here? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. In other words, make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Slap your neighbor a high five and say, I'm glad I know who I serve. Mm, All right. All right. And if you don't, maybe before the day is over, you will. If the Lord be God, follow him. Did you hear that? I don't know if you underline or not. I'd I'd underline. Follow him. Make up your mind. If God is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. It's your choice. And the people answered him not a word. Now, Elijah has come to set some things in order, but he got no answer from the people. Why? Because they're in a situation of blended worship. They know the true God. They know the God of Israel. But because the king has allowed his wife to bring in a myriad of all other type of worship and and Baal worship, now the people are standing between two opinions. They're not sure what they believe or why they believe it anymore. Mm. Skip down to verse 30. And Elijah said to all the people, now in between verse 21 and verse 30, the showdown has come. They've brought in two calves, and they have. He is uh, Elijah has allowed the worshipers of Baal and all the prophets of Baal to show their power of their god to the people first. After several hours and cutting themselves and bleeding and 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 sacrifice and crying and wailing and interceding before their god of wood and stone, they got no answer. So verse 30, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me, and all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's very notable there. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. 
And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to stop right there in that verse. The verse does not end there. And I promise you that my jumping around today is not pulling anything out of the context in which the word lays. I believe in keeping and preaching contextually. But I'm going to stop right there because for the next little phrase here, He's just preparing the altar. He's preparing for the showdown. He digs the trench around the altar, and he's believing that God's going to do something exceedingly abundantly above all that we could think to ask. 450 prophets wailing, and actually on that day there were 850 prophets there because there were the, pro- the prophets of, the, of the, uh, the idol Asherah there as well. And so they're all calling and wailing for their gods of stone to do something. Now it's over. Now he's rebuilt the, the altar, and he's had them pour water, four barrels of water over the sacrifice, and then they did it again, and he just kept doing it until the, the uh, ravine that they had dug around the altar was filled with water. Everything was so wet that it would take a miracle for this to catch on fire. But if you serve an awesome, almighty God, sometimes you got to prove him in an awesome, almighty way. Who could say amen to that? All right. I love praying for the world. I love praying for worldly people who don't know the Lord because sometimes I pray with you, and i got to get through all your doubt and blendedness and everything, but when I pray with somebody in the world, they don't know any better. They just go, okay, pray for me. And one time I get through praying for them, God's miracle starts happening for them. And this is kind of the situation that Elijah is in. Look at this. And it came to pass at the time of offering, that's verse 36, of the evening offering that Elijah the prophet came near and said unto, and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal and let not one escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Mm, then that sound like your God. So let me let me back up real quick and recap just real quickly. Verses 7 through 16 in chapter 18, Elijah is on his way to meet with Ahab. Now he's already prayed and shut rain up over the nation of Israel for three years now. And so he's not a very well-liked character because he did it before the king, and the king has seen that his word has come to pass. And so now Elijah is an outsider. He's an outlaw. Slap your neighbor a high five and say, it's not always a bad thing to be an outlaw. Mm. It's not a bad thing to be an outlaw. Just depends on, it just depends on who's calling you an outlaw. But Elijah's done shut up the rain, and, and everything is dying. Vegetation is in trouble. Animals are in trouble. The nation is in trouble. And, and they're getting to that place where they're begging 
gods of wood and stone to let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. But Elijah said, well, I'll, Lord, how long? It's been three years. Is this long enough? On this day, he figures out it's long enough. He's made his way down to the king. He's going to get audience with the king. On the way, he meets a man named Obadiah, who's a servant of the king. He, he's, when, Elijah, when Obadiah sees Elijah, he runs and falls on him and, and says, you, you're the prophet. Oh, we're so glad. I'm so glad to see you. And then he says, well, now go tell Ahab I'm coming to meet with him. He says, what are you trying to do, get me killed? That's what he said. Are you trying to get me killed? And Elijah said, no, he's not going to kill you. You go tell him I want audience with him. And so he got audience with him, and, and then he gave him the showdown. Listen, you gather up all your false god. You gather up all, all of the, the pretenders, and you bring them to Mount Carmel, and we're going we're gonna to end this thing once and for all. If you won't reign in this nation, you'll, you'll meet my challenge. And so Ahab came down, but Ahab came down with, uh, with the, his delegates of the new religious order. He came down because he thought, he thought he was going to make this Elijah look like a fool, and then he would have grounds before the people to take Elijah out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Ahab showed up with his delegates of the new religion, and society was commanded to come, and the witnesses were, were invited to come. In other words, the whole nation was there. Everyone was called. Everyone was brought to the challenge to see what was going to happen. In Ahab's mind... Elijah would be proven foolish, and he could continue his reign the way he'd been doing things. And on the flip side of that, Elijah knew that today's the showdown. Today's the day God will show out. Today's the day God will do the impossible for a people who've gotten cold and lackadaisical and mixed and don't know who they are any longer. And so the first thing Elijah does when he shows up is he gives the command to come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out from among them. He says, how long are you going to halt between these two opinions? You got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. You can't serve two gods. You can't, it's, it's all through the word. You can't serve God. And you can't serve money. You can't put anything ahead of God. You must make God number one in your life if you are going to be a faithful servant who can say amen to that. All right. So I got the right crowd at the right time here today. So. He gives them the challenge, and he says, who do you believe is God? And they were noncommittal. Man, this makes me think of where we are as a nation right now. Because an awful lot of people are noncommittal, and they're stuck between two opinions. Am I, am I meddling yet? They're stuck between two opinions, and as I've watched, I've watched in my entire lifetime, I have watched as the church has grown colder and colder and colder, and there have been small pockets of revival that rise and make and change a few things, but for the most part, our nation is kind of where this is with Elijah. There's, they're, just, they're not willing to commit really to either side and especially not to God. And so I wanted to draw some parallels today, if I could, about us as a church believing for the revival power of God in this nation, Re believing for the revival power of God in this city. How many really genuinely want to see an all-out sellout in this city? 
not just Passion Church, but every church filled to overflowing because every church is feeling the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. Everyone has come out from among them and, and made themselves separate. Everyone has decided not to halt or get crippled up between two opinions, but to follow God. How many believe, now come on, this is really going to get down to the heart of it. How many believe it's possible? That wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad. Now, I caught some of you off guard one more time. How many believe that's possible? Because nothing is impossible with God. Who can say amen to that? So he says, who do you believe is God? Is it Jehovah or is it Baal? And to me, the most staggering thing of all is the people of God who knew God remained silent. A silent church, oh, you, you ain't ready for this today. A silent church is a backslidden church. A silent church, a noncommittal church, a church that likes the dabble, a little dabble, do you? That went way over the young people's heads. A church that will remain silent when given the opportunity to step forward for their God is a backslidden church. In this case, it really encompassed nearly the entire nation, except for some prophets who had been pulled alongside and were being saved so that Elijah wouldn't be the only prophet who had a message to trumpet. Look at this. This noncommittal people, fearing the government, fearing persecution, were too timid to speak, too timid to take a stand, and too filled with unbelief that God is still powerful, that God still works miracles. They haven't seen a miracle in so long that they're not even sure God really is real anymore. Maybe those are just stories that our ancestors made up. <laughs> Some of these people, they like the new loose religion. Oh, come on. Am I, am I with the right people? Some of these people, they like the new loose religion. I remember this, this, was, this phrase was coined when I was a child growing up. If it feels good, do it. Come on. And I, can, I, can I back that phrase up with something? If it feels good, it, it will probably kill you. Oh, come on. I'm telling you the truth. If it feels good, it's probably going to kill you. Because we're not supposed to live by feelings. We're supposed to live by faith. And just because something feels good don't make it right. And it doesn't make it acceptable. And I've watched society go from if it feels good, do it, and, and trumpeting that mantra till, till yesterday, I was so appalled my wife showed me a little girl sit in a room full of adults Oh, come on. 
and a and a transgender transvestite dancer drag queen crawling on the floor being sexually seductive was flaunting in front of this child and getting the child this innocent child and you could just see the innocence on that little face of that little girl and when i saw that my blood boiled and every adult in that room, in my opinion, is guilty of child abuse, abusing that baby by letting a demon crawl around in humanity and cause that child to kiss that nasty, vile spirit. I want you to know that that kind of thing won't last long in Cameron, Missouri because we're here to serve notice. It is time to come out from among them and be ye separate. There were probably those in the room that probably call themselves Christian, probably are church-attending people, but they like the new loose religion because it allows you to do whatever you want to do and add God's name to it, but it doesn't work that way. A true follower of Christ, a true follower of God follows him with their heart engaged with the understanding that I lost my will when I said yes to him, and I will live for him and try to, to proclaim his will and live out his will for his purposes and for his glory for the remainder of my life it is time to come out from among them some like the new loose religion because it feels good some uh, like and or prefer to blend it that's why you couldn't get anyone in that crowd when Elijah stood before them to step out. You couldn't get anyone to step out and to commit themselves. Why? Because they kind of liked the loose way that it fits. It was convenient at times to worship at the temple of Baal. It was convenient whenever uh, there were, I won't go into it, but when there were certain human satisfactions that were tied to that called religion. And it's more restrictive if you're going to follow God because God knows that what feels good might kill you. Mm. So Elijah does what he has to do. He calls them out. They've made their show. They've made their spectacle. They've danced before their devils. They've allowed their devils to dance. They've given sacrifice. They've cut themselves. They've bled out in some kind of an order of worship to try to get the demons to light a fire on the altar. Elijah doesn't use their altars. He comes back and he finds the altars that have been ignored and are now broken down and toppled over because it's been so long since anyone made a real genuine sacrifice to the Lord. And so he takes that run-down and defiled group of rocks. They've been defiled from apathy. They've been defiled from neglect. And he begins to reestablish and rebuild what has been torn apart and torn asunder. He does it before the people so the people can see that there are some things that are sacred with God. There are some things and some memorials that must be remembered. There are some things that we need to get back to. There is a, there is a, a, a line of demarcation between us. I won't sacrifice on that altar of demons, but I'll build the one that God will receive an offering from. 
Baal didn't answer, surprise, 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 in that big showdown. Mm. But <laughs> now Satan's got egg on his face. He's got egg on his face. Don't you love that? He's got egg on his face. And in verses 30 and 32, Elijah is now rebuilding the, temp, the, the altar. What does that represent? What does that represent? He's rebuilding intimacy. He says, if you're going to be intimate with God, you have to do it God's way. If you're going to approach God, you got to do it his way. And so he's restoring intimacy before the people. Because when this is over and God is answered, you will no longer sacrifice over there at the prophets of Baal and over at the temple of Baal because it is coming down. But you will be worshiping with your God here. Is everyone with me so far? I know the room is getting warm. Look at this. Elijah rebuilt the altar, reestablishing prayer. He brought back reverence for the meeting place with God, reestablishing God's name, reestablishing God's sovereignty, reestablishing God's power and his existence and his willingness to answer. What's important, uh, uh, and what's important of God's word, he, has, he, he wants us to understand that as we build this intimacy again, the one thing that God hates more than anything else is to worship someone before him. What God hates more than anything else, the very first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And by rebuilding the temple, by, by rebuilding the the uh, altar, he's letting us know that there's a place in intimacy with God, that God will accept sacrifice, but he won't accept it over there. He won't accept it someplace else. He'll only get it here in the intimate place where you and he connect. It is his will right here that there be no other God and no loose living in between. God wants you and he wants you alone. God wants not part of you. God wants all of you. He doesn't want you living in some loose expression of Christianity. He wants you lock, stock, and barrel sold out to him. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Amen. Passion Church, we must rebuild the altar. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He made the challenge of the altar to be uh, an impossible feat and an absurd request. He built the altar, laid the sacrifice on it, doused it with water, doused it with water, doused it with water. There's no way a fire should have ever happened on there. But in verse 36, he prays, God, let your name be known. Take back your power before these people, for they have forgotten the powerful God of the past. They've lost the stories of the past. They have forgotten the miracles. They have forgotten the Red Sea part. They've forgotten the ten plagues that fell on Egypt. They have forgotten about Jericho. They have forgotten what you have done, and they need an encounter with their God. We're not going to bring revival to Cameron unless Cameron has an encounter 
with their God. They've got to not come in here and just have a lackadaisical church that they can get on any other acre in any other square building in town. When they walk through the doors, they've got to know that there is an encounter waiting for them when they come through the door. That all of a sudden, this God you heard about is the God you know, and the God you know will show up and work the miracles you need in the right timing that you need those miracles so that you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you don't have to live some loose expression of Christianity. You can live sold out to him. In verse 37, he prays as a witness. He says, God, it's not my name that's on the line, God. It's yours. Father, whether they ever believe in Elijah or not makes no difference, but you, they've got to have a reason to believe. They've got to have a reason to believe that you'll do exceedingly abundantly above all. They have to have an understanding, God, that you can take the impossible and make it possible. They need to understand, God, that you are holy, you are righteous, and you are worthy of worship. Satan's not worthy of worship of any kind. He steals it like a thief. All glory and all worship belong to the one and only true God. But Satan was in the realm of the nation, working through the flesh of the nation to discourage the nation and steal away the worship of the one true God. And in America, we're giving away our worship of the one true God into all kinds of expressions of loose living and calling it righteous. And it's time for another Mount Carmel showdown in Cameron, in this region. I'm not here, I'm not here pointing my finger at any group of people. I'm here pointing at demons. I want demons and principalities and powers to know that we're here and you're not going to run us off. You've tried, but it isn't going to work. We're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to preach the, un the uncompromised message of Jesus Christ. We're going to stay on this hill and become a beacon on this hill to preach the, 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 unfathomable, the unfathomable abilities of God. We're going to stay on this hill, and we're going, to, we're, at, at, we're going to grow here. And when we dispatch into our neighborhoods and into our homes and into our, our shopping places and into our gas stations, we're going to take this very same God with us. This God that we have intimacy with at the altar is going to go with us at all times because you and I live in a better place than Elijah because we have the inner witness called the Holy Spirit that leads, guides, and directs us. He is our partner in this thing called salvation, and he's always opening up opportunities. This was Elijah's opportunity to bring uh, God back to the place of and knock over all the Baal worship. But God wants to use us, Passion Church, in our neighborhood and in our in our city and in our city streets and in our city halls and in in our government and in all the places of this city and in the places where the pastors meet. God is wanting to reestablish himself in an uncompromised fashion. And you and I have been given the mandate to take the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ into this world and reach our community for Christ. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. 
So in verse 37, he's telling God, God, go get your people. He says, God, you hear me, and he's praying. This is, you know, there's a scripture that says we're not supposed to be prayed to be heard, to be heard of men, and that's true, but there are occasions when we should pray to be heard of men. And this was one of those occasions. He's praying and he's saying, you know, the other thing is about being arrogant. This is about being heard as a witness. And he's praying and he says, Lord, your name has gotten forgotten, but they need to know that you are real. Your name has become nothing more than a curse word, but, but now is your opportunity. So while I'm praying to you, Father, it's not for my benefit. I know you're real. But for their benefit, God, I want you to show up and I want you to show out and show them what you can do. I've set forth an impossible challenge, God. Show them that you're the God of the impossible. And Elijah put his life on the line knowing that if God didn't show up in this moment, his life was over. He put God's reputation on the line. Oh, but in verse 38, he prayed and the fire fell. Now, I'm going to make this quick because we're getting short on time. But look at this. First the fire, then the rain. First the fire, then the rain. Why does God have to show up in fire first? Let me explain. First of all, God is by nature an all-consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. God is fire. He's the source of fire. He's the all-consuming God. He's the God that gets with you and in you and around you, and he's the light that comes out of you. How many have ever sang that song, This Little Light of Mine? We really ought to sing that, This Little Flame of Mine. This Little Flame of Mine. This Little Flame of Mine. How many remember over in second chapter of Acts what happened? Flame of fire stood above the heads of those who were baptized on that day when the church was birthed. Look at this. Moses found him in a burning bush. His judgments rained down on Egypt and Sodom in fire. Jeremiah said, his word in my heart is like fire. And like fire shut up in my bones. There's something about God that is fire. And if we're going to live for him, if we're going to show him to the community around us, they've got a sense that there's a fire in you. His presence through the Holy Spirit is in you. He's not a cute little light. He's not a cute little flashlight. He's not an LED. He's a flame of fire. And the flame of fire is represented for us in passion. God is looking for a passionate people. He's looking for a people who aren't afraid of an outpour of his fire, who aren't afraid to uh, uh, have your name associated with his, a people who will open their mouth in the most inopportune times to speak a praise or to speak a challenge so that others can come to know him as he is. So you must have an outpour of fire. You must have an outpour of consuming fire. The only remedy for people of apathy and religious mixture and a fear of commitment is an encounter with an all-consuming God. You heard Ashley stand up here this morning and share she's only been a Christian two years if she hadn't found the Lord, the attacks that came against her, what do you think it would have 
done to her if she hadn't had an inner witness and an inner consuming fire to keep her forging forward even though it looked impossible. And then when she finally got the blessing of the Lord on her life, she found out there's a real devil that wants to take the blessing of the Lord off of your life and to talk you out of what it is that God has done for you. Yet something kept her in there. Something kept her fighting. Something caused her to not give up, not to back down, and not to quit. You saw her up here today. She never cries. She's the kind of person who just doesn't shed tears. But today her heart had been melted. Why? Because first the fire, then the rain. Jesus. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Her emotions came streaming down her face today because of the fire that's still in her heart consuming her. Something said you can't quit. And of course, many of us were in her ear saying, don't give up on God. Don't slow down. Don't back up. Don't give the devil any territory. And then we got together and we circled her in faith and we began to pray and we began to seek and we began to call out on God's name that he would show up in a miraculous way. And I, for one, was a witness in that courtroom. I I sat there and I watched, I watched in amazement as confusion began to settle in on the spirits that were trying to destroy that young lady and her husband and her family. I watched it with my own eyes. God showed up in that room the same as he showed up at Mount Carmel. A fire fell and everything changed. Woo! I got to hurry. We need an outpour of fire. We need an encounter and we need a fire consuming our heart and driving our bones. Something that keeps me going. When it all falls apart, when when it breaks your heart, when it's not the way you saw it going in your mind, you've got to have enough fire and trust in God on the inside of you that no matter how dismal this might look, no matter how difficult this season might seem, on the other side of this, there is victory. On the other side of this, the fire of God will sustain me till I get to the other side. I may need some rain. I may be parched. I may be dry. I may be needing God, but I also got a fire that drives my bones. I got something that keeps me in the fight. I've got an intimacy with him that will keep me and sustain me in the moment of my greatest need and when I get to the other side I'm going to stand in the rain of victory I'm going to stand in the soaking of God and drink him in and know that God is good Hmm. we cannot have a refreshing rain until we have a fire but once you've been consumed then comes the intercession of outpour A city, a region, a state, or a nation will never enjoy the refreshing of God's outpour without a calling down of fire and the reestablishment of his altar. The place of meeting through intercession must continue in God, in intimacy. Cameron needs an outpour. Northwest Missouri needs an outpour. America needs an outpour. But we have got to reestablish the altar of fire. Elijah's reign was a downpour and an open heaven with the potential of a landslide. But it couldn't come until he got the fire of God for the people of God to witness again.
the moment the fire happened, Elijah arose with a prophetic warning. He didn't go to the people. He went to the king, the source, the covering of the nation. And unashamedly and unafraid because now he has proven and taken out the prophets of the demons. He stood in his face and said, if I were you, I'd make it back to your comfortable little palace because you're about to get caught in a mighty downpour. You thought you had God's name choked out, but I'm here to let you know he's about to pour out like you ain't never seen. That fire was just to show you that you need to get back to him and you need to get this nation right again, but you better get ready. You better get ready because I'm going to go up on that mountain and when I do, I'm going to get down in intercession. And the same God who answers by fire and who heard me here is going to hear me on the mountaintop. Uh, and I may have gotten the encounter of fire for you, but now I'm coming for the nation. And when I'm through, there's going to be an outpour. It's going to come in a mighty torrent of rain. It's going to come down till it could cause a landslide. Uh, the, the hilltops will melt into the valleys with the, with the rain that God's about to pour. So he said, Ahab, you better get yourself in your chariot and you better make it to the city. You better get there in the safe place because it ain't going to be safe for you out here. And we don't want to have to read in the paper tomorrow that there's a drowned king laying out in the middle of the valley because I want you to know the downpour of God is fixing to happen. Passion Church, we're here to let our region know that God is fixing to visit by fire and outpour. We're here to stand on this hill and call down fire. We're here to let them hear us pray in faith believing. We're here. You see, when I say these things, I, I think people think I'm talking about people. I'm talking about principalities and powers and darkness and wickedness in high places. I'm here to let the demons that have stood over this region far too long and caused the church here to be nothing but a revolving door. I'm here to let them know that that is about to end because the power of God will be the same all over this town if we'll just allow him to come in the fire of expression and if we'll crawl upon the mountain of intercession and stay on our face till God's through giving his outpour and when it comes you look out baby because it'll be a landslide in Cameron it'll be a landslide in northwest Missouri it'll be a landslide in Missouri it'll be a landslide. God is fixing to do something exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever even think to ask him to do and he has no problem standing up to the challenge. He has no problem showing himself. All he's waiting for is a people to believe him. If you could say amen to that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for these today. Father, sometimes my word is more enthusiasm than it is content. But God, I thank you and praise you, Lord, that as simple as this message is, Lord, that the truth in it is profound. That if we'll repair the altar, 
if we'll repair our intimacy with you, Father, in this 40-day challenge that we've had, Father, we've been repairing our intimacy. And we end this on Tuesday, Father, but we're just getting started. And I'm believing, Father, that there's going to come an outpouring of your fire, that you're going to consume every altar that's laid their sacrifice before you. I thank you, Father, that prayer is not going to be a lackadaisical thing any longer where we halt between two opinions, but, God, we're going to become white hot for your desire, white hot for your presence, white hot for your witness, white hot in our commitment to you. Because, Father, we've got to get up on the mountain and we've got to start praying an intercession over our region, God. We're eight years in, Father, but, but we're, we're, we've never been closer than we are right now. Father, we're at that moment right now, Father, when there's, there's a scheduled breakthrough. You're about ready, Father, to pour out on these people. You desire, Father, to take this city. You desire to take this region. You desire to flow from here, Father, to Kansas City and from here to Des Moines, and from here to St. Joe and from here to Chillicothe. God, you desire, you desire to take this region. You desire, Father, to sweep in and to mix it all up and mess everything up, Father, that gets in your way. You're ready, Father, with a torrential outpour, Father, to cause things to be uprooted and changed and moved and rearranged and placed in different places, God, so that you can... Have your will and your way in us. And so, Father, we thank you and we accept your challenge, Father, to be the men and women of God in this day and age. We give you the honor and the glory. If you're here today and you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, if that would happen to be you, would you, by lifted hand, would you just... While there's no one else looking, just lift your hand and say, pray with me, Pastor. I want to know him as Lord and Savior. Let there be one. If you'll entertain me for just a moment. If you're watching by streaming today, God bless you. Hey, Lois, glad you're watching today. I want you to know that where you are right now, you can know him as your Lord and Savior. You can have this fire fall into your heart, this passion, this hunger, this, this new thirsting for righteousness and purity and cleanness. You're not too far gone and not too far lost for the Father. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to wrap his arms around you, and he wants to restore what the devil and the canker worm have stolen from your life. He wants to heal your diseases, and he wants to bring you underneath his wing in the shadow of his goodness. He wants you to share the opulence of heaven with him. And he's as close as the whisper of his name. So those of you who are streaming with me right now, those of you watching by Roku TV, listen. Pray with me. Church, help me. Lord Jesus, I have so messed this up. I know I'm not close to you, but I want to be. My heart is convicting me. It's telling me I'm wrong. But I don't want to be wrong. I want you.
to come into my heart, remove my sins, be the Lord of my life for the remainder of my years on earth. I want to serve you. And when this life is through, I will continue to serve you throughout all eternity. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come Holy Spirit. Live in my heart. Lead me. Guide me. Teach me. And I will learn of your word. I will be in the fellowship of the church. And live for you. All the days of my life, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, if you prayed that, please drop us a line. You can go online to passionchurchmo.com and drop us a line and let us know that you made that commitment today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.